0: Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Morning. My name's is Drew. Uh, it's good to be together this morning. Um, oh, man, I love these mornings. When everything, uh, just to be completely transparent, when the guy that was supposed to be here to help us lead worship is sick, everyone else plan B is gone, and the Lord just feels like he takes all your resources and just kind of like puts them to the side. <laughs> and you just come in this morning and you just hear the church and you're just like, this is what we need. Like, we just, it can be so simple. Like we have worshiped, the church has worshiped this way for so long. And to be, to come into a place and to hear your brother and sister sing to the Lord is, does something for you, you know. And so it's a joy. It's a joy to be together this morning. I'm grateful for what the Lord's doing. Uh, My name is Drew. Like Brian said, I am one of the pastors here. It's my joy to be able to bring the word this morning. Um, We're going to be in Joshua. So if you haven't been with us, Joshua chapter 9. Um, we have been working our way through the book. One of the ways that we preach, the way that we preach, is that we go through a book, one book at a time. Um, so we went through Mark. Now we're we're almost um, we're getting almost halfway through Joshua. Uh, but today, you can if you can grab a couple of different passages. So first Joshua chapter nine, and then maybe Genesis chapter twelve. Um, we're going to connect to my promise uh, there. If we just back up and remember everything that's happened up until this point. Um, The Lord has is doing something with His people, Um, and you can see it. There's a transition of leadership between Moses and Joshua. They're brought across the Jordan River, uh, and in you hear in the very beginning, in the way that God speaks to Joshua, the leader of Israel, He says this: "Be strong and courageous." Um, He says it four times in the first chapter. Three times come from the Lord. One time comes from His people. Be strong and courageous. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I hear those words, I think about um, what we read throughout the passage, which is the battle. You think about the courage that's going to be required of Joshua, the strength that's going to be required of Joshua to endure the battles that he's about to endure. But one of the things that we neglect um, is the verse that follows. The, very, in the next thing that is said in Joshua 1.7, it says, be strong and very courageous Be careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, has commanded you. I have enjoyed um, watching how this strength and courage, the way that Charles Spurgeon says it is that the highest um, obedience is the highest form of courage. That this strength and courage, while we may think that it's for the battle, that what's actually happening within the people of Israel is that there is an inward battle in the heart um, that is required courage is required to walk out this obedience that they're called to and so it has played out over and over again Um, and I think one of the reasons that it's encouraging for me is because I see it not just here in this story um, but I see that truth in my own life I see it in us I see it in the people that I talk to I was talking to someone at the park just the other day he's not a follower of Jesus But we got on the topic of just everything that, where his decisions had led him in his life, and he seemed to be extremely frustrated. Um, And so through conversation, he kind of got to this point where he said, you know what? It's like, it's like, it's like, I just, there's things that I want to do, and I just, I, I don't do them. And for so long, I can like, I can be good. But after a while, it just comes out, and I just make a mess of stuff. And you're just like, yeah, Keep going. And then he says, it's almost as if the problem isn't actually the things that I do. It's almost as if there's actually a problem in me. And I was just like, you know, and there's this moment where you're just like, that's it. There it is. That is the truth that we all, whether or not we are at the point in our lives where we have, are willing to assess truly if that's where we're, what, is, what is true about us, that is what we all know deep down, that there is actually something, there is a battle that is waging. There's a war that is waging within us. And so while we can become very consumed with the battle that's outside of us, and we can think that we need strength and courage for those things, the reality is, is what God is doing here is he is pushing back sin within his own people. He's pushing back sin within the nation. He's pushing back sin within the entire world. God is doing something greater than maybe what we see the first time that we look at it. So the way that, the way that uh, um, Brian said it last week, is that obedience is courage? He said, obedience is surrender. Obedience is worship. And so, what we're going to see today is we're going to go from the end of Joshua chapter eight, which is an epic scene, all throughout the, uh, Joshua. I mean, uh, yeah, Joshua nine, which is um, which is a lot. We're going to see how quickly our hearts can go from a place of worship to a place of self-reliance. Let me. Um, let's start in Genesis. Genesis chapter twelve, verse six. Says this, says Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morai. At that time, Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who appeared to him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the times when we um, lack faith. Where so quickly we can just um, wanna be in control. And Lord, we come to you this morning and we see you as God, King on your throne. The one who's created the world, who has made a way for us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, who's given us your word, who has shown us what it what it looks like to live out that word, who's given us the power to be able to live out that word. Lord, I, We come to you this morning, and we say we need you. Lord, we we desperately need you. We need to be reminded of your truth. We need to see our brothers and sisters be reminded of that truth. Lord, we need to see each other as as a whole walk faithfully before you. And so, Lord, I pray that today that you would do something in our hearts. that I know that we come in with a lot of things that we think about that happen throughout this week or gonna happen in in, in the week to follow, but Lord, I pray that you would begin to work on the things that are in our hearts or the things that oftentimes we hide away, the things that we don't address. Would you bring them up and Lord, would you you show us how good your gospel is? Would you show us your grace, show us your mercy, show us who you are? And I pray that by that, that we would also see who we are and what you've created us to be. We love you your name amen all right so um, do you have certain places that hold significance in your life like I don't know if it's like childhood home Um, I don't know there's certain places so for me I grew up outside of Philadelphia and Philadelphia didn't really have all that much significance when I was when I was younger there's also places that grow in significance and so we would come here for sports and we would come here for food which you know I mean what else is here Uh, and it was just something that I remember doing as a kid and and, um, always enjoyed it for that reason. But there was a certain point in my life um, where the Lord began to do something in my heart towards this city and not just towards the food because my heart's always been there. Um, but towards the people, like like God began to do something in my heart, in my wife's heart, in our family's heart, where we would just feel like this. This feels like the place where God is calling us, and so it is the place where obedience and faithfulness is meant to be lived out for our family. And so, it took on a different role then. And there is now Philadelphia, the city as a whole, hold, as a whole holds a unique place. It's a special place. Um, and I think not just for me, also within our whole story, one of the things that I'll tell you a secret, one of the things that I've been doing, um, I've been running a lot lately and I run past Christ Church. Christ Church is on 2nd and Market Street, on the corner of 2nd and Market Street. Um, and I stopped there. And the reason I stopped there is to pray because um, George Whitfield in 1739 preached a sermon there that launched an awakening in the city of Philadelphia spiritually that was unreal, that honestly shaped the rest of the country. And I go there and I think, Lord, you can, like, your church can be awakened. And so would you do that again? Philadelphia holds a unique place, not just in my heart, but I think it holds a unique place spiritually for us as a, as a people. And there's places that are just like that. And so today, I, I, as, I, as I began to study chapter 9, I honestly couldn't get past the end of chapter 8. <laughs> Uh, And so I found myself just sitting in chapter 8, verses 30 through 35. And because of the place, chapter 8 is in Shechem. And that's where we started. We started in Genesis 12, verse 6. It says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moriah, at the land of the Canaanites, where he was living. And this right here says, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So this place immediately goes from nowhere to somewhere. It becomes the place that God has brought his man, Abraham, and said, I am going to take you and I'm going to make you a people. And the promise is that he would not just have an inheritance, but that the whole world would be blessed by that inheritance, that they would be truly a people. And so the story continues, and honestly, it continues with a lot of trouble. There's a lot of slavery, there's a whole mess that happens. And then you get to Deuteronomy chapter 27 and after Abraham there's everything in Egypt and they come across um, over the Red Sea and you have Moses as the new leader and Moses is this incredible legendary leader and at the end of his life he gets to this point where he's about he's giving these incredible speeches and he says this when you he's not going to go into the promised land but he says this to his people Deuteronomy 27 verse 4 and 5. When you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I commanded you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. And he also says in 11, that that day Moses charged the people saying, when you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim, the, the blessed people, gives all the names. Then he says, these shall stand on Mount Ebal, the cursed And then he says, and the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. So if you can see this, I have a picture of Shechem. And and Shechem was unique because it was between two hillsides, two mountains. And so, yeah, there you go. You have Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And in the middle is Shechem. And this is the place that God called Abraham. And now this is the place that Moses is saying, listen. This is the place. God called Abraham and he told him in this place, you are going to become a people. So I'm telling you, when you get across the Jordan, go to Mount Ebal and go to Mount Gerizim, go to Shechem. And there, I want, you to, like, I want you to participate in this ceremony. And this ceremony is going to be unlike anything other. Like this is going to be a unique ceremony. And so what they do, the description that I get in the ESV Bible about this this passage, it says, Joshua fulfilled Moses' command to renew the covenant at Shechem by placing copies of the covenant on Mount Ebal and directing the Israelite tribes to shout the blessings and curses of the covenant to each other across the valley, separating Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. All right. All right. So this is what happens. Um, They arrive, they finish the battle of Ai, and they go to this place, and Joshua takes the Ark of the Covenant, and he puts it right in the middle of these two mountains. And he takes half of the people, and he puts them on Mount Gerizim. He takes half of the people, and he puts them on Mount Ebal. And what they do is they begin to shout The blessings from Mount Gerizim is shouted over to Mount Ebal, and then the curses are shouted about. This is what it looks like to follow the Lord. If you follow the Lord, you will have these kind of blessings. If you do not follow the Lord, these are the curses that you will experience. And in the midst of this is the presence of God represented by the Ark of the Covenant. And then at the very end, Joshua takes the law that he has written down all throughout Deuteronomy. He takes it and he reads it over the people. And you're just like, I I, I thought about it as we were singing this morning. I was like, we need to hear the words of God read to us. That's not a new idea. God does something with his people here. This is a ceremony. Can you imagine Abraham seeing this day? He was told, you're going to be made a people. And now there's thousands on these mountainsides. And all they're doing is speaking the words that they've been given by God. And God is being honored in this place. And when I think about that, I think, man, that is a scene. That's um, a worship service like I've not attended. <laughs> um, and if you go, you've seen all throughout this book that there is this battle, again, happening internally. And so one of the things that happens is you have these really high highs and these really low lows. And when we go into chapter 9, we're going to find in the very next chapter, they're deceived. And so you have this moment of worship that is so quickly transferred into a moment of self-reliance. And out of nowhere, they're deceived. And the battle between good and evil for rest, in that moment, they choose what is evil. And so quickly, we can go from this place where we, um, I think about it in terms of where we're at. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. This has made me come, I don't know if you're new to church, if you are, welcome. Um, we're so glad that you're here. Um, if, this is, if church is something that you've done your entire life, um, I think one of the things that you can learn and that you've come to learn is that it is very easy to go from a place in a heart of worship to the very next, not even day, hour, be at a place where you are now, you are now being deceived and choosing what is evil over what is good. It's where we find these people. And I think what we see here is that God is one gracious in this, but also he holds them to account. So, uh, Joshua chapter 9, let's keep reading. Joshua chapter 9, the Gibeonite deception says As soon as the kings were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, all the ites, Jebusites, heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. We're going to talk about that another time, but that's what they decide. They see the power of God and they say, we're going to fight. Verse 3 says, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had, what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, They, on their part, acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn out patches, sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and their provisions were dry and crumbly and they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. So now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us, then how can, perhaps you live among us, how can we make a covenant with you? Then Joshua said, we are the servants, and, Josh, and J- we are your servants, and Joshua said to them, who are you, and where do you come from? It's a legitimate question. And they said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings, and the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, the Sihan, the, and the Heshbon, and the Og King of Bashan, and that lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants, come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses and our food for the journey of the day. We set out to come to you, but now behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when when we filled them and behold, they have bursts. And these garments and sandals of ours were worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of the provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. That's, um, that's a lot. There's a whole scene that, that plays out. I think it's a scene that the first thing that I thought of, it's a scene that's similar to one that I encountered in my daughter's bedroom um, like four nights ago. I went up there, they just got these new beds, which they're super excited about. Um, and I, I went up, it was about 9.30, and they're both laying there, and they're just kind of like this, like mouth open a little bit, you know? I'm like, they're asleep. I go downstairs I say, yeah, they're asleep, but they're in different beds. And Megan looks at me and she goes, they're not sleeping. Uh, I was like, what are you talking about, they're not sleeping? <laughs> and I, I remember I, immediately, I was like, there's no way I just fell for that. That's what I did as a kid. And so, yeah, she was like, there's no way they're, not, they're sleeping because they know exactly what bed they sleep in and they're very committed to that. They love their beds. And I was like, okay. So Megan goes up like 20 minutes later and sure enough, they're in different beds. And I was like, darn. It, we can be easily deceived. And I think it happens in a minute. And I think um, one of the things that we see here is that there was a lot of intent behind the Gibeonites. They knew exactly what they were doing. And I think um, the question that we have to face then here is what does it look like for us to avoid deception? Because we can look at this story and feel like it's disconnected to us from us. But the reality is that this story is connected to the one at the very beginning, that deception is at the heart. Of the problem that we have that daily we encounter deception Um, and at the very beginning the problem was that we were deceived into taking things into our own hands so we not only encounter deception I think one of the things that we see is that our world is very actively trying to deceive us Uh, I I looked up an article that said that Colgate had to pay millions of dollars because they said that eighty percent of dentists um, suggest their toothpaste. They do not apparently, um, and but we actively throw these facts out here in order to deceive because at the heart, what they want um, is you to engage in something that is not true. And so I think it's helpful for us to understand how can we avoid deception? Um, the very first thing that we see here is that they knew the word uh, but were not changed by it. They knew the word, but were not changed by it. And so, um, the word that they, that Joshua understood was in Exodus 34, which says, take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. So the instruction from the very beginning was that this was meant to be when you go into the land that you would not make a covenant with any of the people that were in that land, but that, If someone was outside of the land, you could make a covenant with them. But if you were to make a covenant with someone in the land, that would be dangerous because of the idols that they worship. And the whole point is that they would be pushing out evil. And so at some point, these people, the Gibeonites, were aware of that. And the very first thing um, that they say is that we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. Uh, And the response of Joshua is, perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They say, we are your servants. Just noted, if anyone ever just gives up a loss, be skeptical. Um, And then Joshua says, who are you and where do you come from? And I think that I thought of was that is, when you look at like their instruction, that's the right question. Like it's the right question to ask. Where are you, where you come from? Perhaps, and actually not even just the right question. They had the right understanding that, they weren't supposed to make a covenant with someone in the land. So he's like, perhaps you come from somewhere that's close. What if you come from somewhere that's close? And um, I think what you realize here is that the problem with that, that Joshua and his leaders have was not that they didn't, um, it was not with their, um, under, their intellect, but it was actually with their transformation. So the way, that it, the way that I would say it is that it's not with their information, but it's with their transformation. So it's not with what they knew, but it was with how what they knew was actually shaping them. So the way that we um, would say it here is the goal for us is not just to know the Bible, but the goal for us is to know the God of the Bible. That's the goal. And so for them here, they knew exactly what they were supposed to do. And one of the things that we see throughout scripture is that God is not just giving you knowledge, he's actually giving you himself. That's the point. And we see it again with Moses, where Moses, where he learns so much about God, but the whole point of Moses' story is that by the end of his story, he longs to be in the presence of the Lord more than anything else. Something had happened in Moses that had gone way beyond information and it's actually transformed who he was. And so in this moment here, you see there is a self-reliance that comes out of, and it reveals the fact that while they may have the information that they need, their hearts haven't been transformed in a way that actually equipped them for the situation and the deception that they were facing. See, that's the goal, is that God would change us. The way that Paul says it in Romans, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice that the renewing of your mind serves the purpose of transforming the individual. So I guess a question for you would be, is there... Is there understanding, is there information that you know that doesn't align with a transformation in your life? Like, is is there a place where you would say, I understand what I'm supposed to do, but in reality, I fail to do it because there's actually a change in my heart that hasn't taken shape yet. And when I look at what happens as a result of that is the lack of transformation leads to a lack of discernment. That's where they are. These people come from what they call, then the second time, a very distant country. And they give them a lot of truth, but just enough, right? Just a hint of truth, which is often how deception works. They say that we've heard that you defeated Egypt. But the reality is, and what we see in verse three, is that they heard that they defeated Jericho and I. And so they're saying, we heard that you won a war over there. But the reality is that they knew that they just beat their neighbors. So there is this sense of like, we'll give you just enough truth so that you believe us. And so they show up and they have all of their clothes worn and they have sandals that are worn and they have wineskins that have burst and they have bread that's crumbly and, and everything looks as though they're telling the truth. But in this moment, what they need is not just to be able to perceive, like Joshua doesn't need to be able to just perceive, but what he needs is actually the presence of the Lord to understand what is true. And so without that, he is lacking discernment. I love that in Romans, it says, in Romans 12, 1, it says, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. The idea there is that you would, as you walk with the Lord, be able to discern what is good and not, not just what is um, maybe readily available and explicit in the, in the word. So like maybe you come across a passage uh, that says, you know, don't sin, uh, don't drink, don't, I mean, don't, don't, um, drunkenness is not good, sec, uh, sexual immorality is not good, lust is not good, Um, And you're like, okay, I can go through my life and I can make sure I don't do all these things. But the question when it gets really difficult is when you get to that point where you say, all right, but am I supposed to move to this place? Because I don't know that the Bible says that. Am I supposed to take this job? The Bible doesn't say specifically, Isaac, take this job. You know, (laughs) am I supposed to go and um, take this house, marry this person? The questions in life that are really, really challenging. And honestly, the ones that are, extremely significant and really shape the rest of your life and you get to the point where you say okay so where I wish I wish that I would just know the answer to these things and what you see here is that actually the answer to these things that discernment is found in walking in the presence of the Lord and being transformed by who he is And so there may be times where it may not specifically say, go and do this or do that, but one of the things that you readily do is because you walk with the Lord, the Spirit has equipped you with the level of discernment where he has drawn you toward certain things and pushed you away from other things so that you may be able to choose what is good over what is evil so that you can have rest. That is what he's doing. I think one of the things that they also lacked here when you lack transformation, you lack prayer, presence, and patience. Um, if you remember this scene before this, um, they were defeated in chapter eight, uh, chapter seven. And Joshua does this thing where he goes into the presence of the ark, he falls on his face, him and all the leaders, and he throws dirt on his head. And there's this extreme grief. And there's, he eventually gets to the point where he says to the Lord, Lord, like, you need to defend your people for your name's sake. And he feels, you get this sense that Joshua is just completely broken and terrified. And one of the things that you see is that when we do not sense danger or crisis, oftentimes we do not pursue the Lord in the same way. And so what you see here is that you have a people that you're like, you're looking at Joshua and you're saying, where's the presence? Like, where's that heart? We just came from a place of worship and now you have Joshua and you're just like, where's the, give me one second, I'm going to run to the ark. (laughs) Give me one second, I'm going to run into the presence of the Lord and then I'm going to ask him before we move forward. But one of the things that we do is we feel like when we understand it and we rely on our own abilities, we feel like we have everything under control. And when we have everything under control, we respond differently when we feel like we're in crisis. Because when we feel like we're in crisis, we need the Lord. But when we feel like we're in control, we don't necessarily consult him quickly. I think it's played out time and time again in my life where there are these moments where you think just just another pause would have given the Lord opportunity to speak truth into my life. But because you lacked transformation and a desire for him to speak that truth into your life, you lacked the ability to pause. You see, um, David rejoices in these pauses. He says in Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Psalm 46, 10, he says, be still and know that I am God. I think one of the things that you've seen, the reason that we called this, we titled this series, Aligning with learning to align with the heart of God, is because one of the things that we struggle with is feeling like we're the ones that, fight, that are truly fighting the battle. And the reality is all he's asking us to do is to enter into his presence, that he can fight the battles. So sometimes it requires more patience than we want to give Sometimes it requires more presence than we actually seek, and sometimes it requires a prayer that we just lack. So if you take a moment, write down, maybe just a question for later is, what are some times where you would have, the Lord would have spoken truth into your life, and maybe you would have avoided something that is very difficult if you just would have sought him in prayer, you've sought his presence, or you would have been a little bit more patient the last thing that i see is that um, because we lack transformation um, we lack a fear for the lord um, and i think it's i think it's a, it's a it's feelings and emotions um, they tell us something and so my daughter's birthday's coming up she's very excited it's appropriate my son's birthday's also coming up he's wrapping his mind around what that means he's just too um, but he's excited. Um, but there is a, when you see that, there's there's a genuine enthusiasm for them, because you know, this is how they should feel, and you want them to feel that. Uh, if you're walking along the side of a ledge, there should be fear, I think. I think. If you're walking along the side of a ledge, you don't feel fear. There's something wrong with you. Um, but it, yeah, if you enter into a stressful situation at work, you feel that stress. That's not bad. That's just part of the problem as part of what you feel. And then if you go into a moment where someone gives you extremely hard news, you should feel grief. Like that's part of this. I think the danger is when we enter into something that is dangerous and we don't feel the appropriate emotion. Like when we enter into something that is dangerous and we feel we lack fear that actually should probably be there. The whole point is that he enters into these battles, and everything about him is like, I need to be strong and courageous, and there's an appropriate fear, and everything feels extreme. But in this moment, everything feels calm. And I'm just like, man, is that not our life? That like we go from these extreme highs, and like, say it's like a worship service or what you feel like the Lord's doing, and in a moment you can be robbed of that just because you have a moment of calm. That you would go home and that you would sit there and you would find something on your phone that you probably shouldn't be looking at. That you would let your mind just wander about things that you probably shouldn't. That you would be encountered quickly with something that probably shouldn't be a part of your life. And it's in those moments that we lack fear of the appropriate thing. And there's a comfort that we have that is just, it's not appropriate. So it's good for us to say, am I feeling what I should be feeling right here? Am I fearful in the way that I should be fearful? Because if they have the appropriate amount of fear, what it does is it drives you to the one that actually is going to help you navigate that. Like that's what the Lord is there to do for you. He's there to help you navigate these difficult situations. And in this moment, as you're reading this, you're just pleading with Joshua. Like one, like one deception at a time. You're just like, bring the Lord in. He's right there. He's been there the whole time. Bring him into the situation. And they just don't. And then you get that absolutely devastating statement is that, and they did not consult the Lord. And you're just like, Ugh. and there it is. And they just enter into something that so easily could have been avoided. And I think for us and for our, in our lives, that is so familiar to us. Where we talked about the sin of Achan and you talk about how devastating sin is. And you look again at here, and you're just like, this problem is something that is so present for us, that there is someone that is trying, like, readily trying to deceive us. It feels like every hour and every minute. And if we are not careful, that we will find ourselves frequently choosing what is evil over what is good. And you'll go to other people, and you'll be like, I don't have rest. And you'll come here, and you'll be like, I know all the right things, but I don't have rest. Why don't I have rest? And I just want to point us back to this and say, maybe the reason that we don't have rest is because we're not asking for his presence. We're not seeking him in prayer. We're not actually following the Lord, fearing the things that we should fear, running to the Lord and finding ourselves in this place saying, Lord, above all, help me choose what is good. So you go from this place of worship at Shechem to this place of Gilgal. Gilgal was, for them, at that time, for a moment, a place of comfort. And it's in the place of comfort that the enemy comes in and he deceives. And so, second thing that I want us to see is that Jesus calls us out of self-reliance and back into worship. Jesus calls us out of self-reliance and back into worship. As I read this and the more that I thought about this, I got to that point where I was just like, I just want to go back to Shechem, you know? Like, have you ever been there where you're just like, you can go, honestly, this is to be something you can do your whole life, where you can go from worship service to a life of just what feels like chaos and unrest to like, just get me back there. If I can get there, then I'll be okay. And then you get there, and the thing is, the service ends, (laughs) you know? And then you get back into your week again, and you're at this point where you're just like, I just want to get back to Shechem. And so I, um, I thought about it. This is, this is what Moses, who's the one that called them to Shechem in the first place, this is what he had to say about that place. When he was calling them there in Deuteronomy 27, this is before they went in Joshua, he says this. He says, Then Moses and the Levitical priest said to all of Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. He says, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you to this day. And the verse that I think about alongside with that is that oftentimes we think about the church as, we say this all the time, we think about it as just a building and not the people. But when you look at the full story of Scripture, 66 books, what it really comes to the surface is that this is not just a new, this is not a new people God has always been building a people. Like He's always had these people, and He claims these people, and He's bringing restoration through these people. And so you get into the New Testament, and you know what Peter calls us in 1 Peter two nine through ten. He says, "You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light." Once you were not a people but now you are God's people. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you would receive mercy. So now you have this law where you have Moses saying, go to Shechem. You are God's people. Go to Shechem. And when you get there, keep his law. Like, keep in step with him and be obedient. What we see is that they just lack it. What we see is in ourselves, we lack the same. You get to Joshua 24 and there's a covenant renewal and you know he says we're going to renew a covenant we should go back to Shechem <laughs> and so they all go back to Shechem again and then there's the story just continues and there's this it just it just continues this battle between just good and evil and it's not just external but it's internal and then you get to this point where you see this there needs, there feels like there needs to be one, there needs to be someone who, may, who is able to absolutely keep in step with this obedience that he has called us to. And you see that and you find that perfectly in Christ. And so what I want to put before you today is that Christ entered, like he ushers Shechem into our presence. Like that's what he does. That Christ is the one that keeps the commandments. And then as a result of that, we become a people and we become a people that have received mercy. Not a people that are only that only have to keep commandments, but a people that have received mercies by the one that, who has kept the commandments. That's the full picture, is that Jesus is in the heart of this, and he enters into this, and he keeps these commandments perf- perfectly, and he says, those that are in me will receive mercy. When you receive mercy, what happens is that one of my favorite ways that it's described is in um, the end of John, where Jesus is praying to the Lord, his high priestly prayer, and and he talks about the fact that we are in him and he is in us and he is in the Father, that we would all be one. That's the picture, is that it's no longer about a place, but it had become about a person. And that in Jesus, we would find this worship and that this worship for us would be something that would guard us. That would enter into these moments with us, that would keep us continuing to shape us into something that is good and that looks more like us. It's not just information, but we would actually be transformed into his image. So, just a couple questions that I want you guys to think about as we close. Um, how have you been deceived in the past? What have you believed? would be good and that ended up being a trap? Is there any evidence in your life that you have settled for information and you've lacked transformation? Do you find yourself desiring the Lord only in crisis or at all times? And how has the sacrifice of Jesus brought transformation into your life? I would encourage you, Like again, we, we sang in community this morning, you need to hear the word of your brother and sister, but you also, it's important that you actually take time to sit down with each other and say, is there any, tell me, is there any way in you where you believe something, but it's actually not being lived out and sit down with the brother and sister and wrestle with those things. Seek the Lord, find grace and mercy. And what you'll find is there's a worship that comes out that actually equips us for anything in our lives. So, one of the ways that we celebrate and we remember today is through communion. Um, communion is it's a gift that's been given to us. I, I often think about just how important it is for, is for us to remember um, and give, be given reminders. Uh, in Joshua, we're given specific reminders. As soon as they cross the Jordan River, he says, hey, set up 12 stones. And whenever someone see these, sees these stones... Tell them about what God did in this place for your people, that God is your God and he moves. And so you get all the way to the New Testament and Jesus is sitting around a table with his disciples and there's bread and there's wine and and there's a meal and he takes the bread and he breaks that bread and he takes what was just at one point was symbolic of another event and he actually brings it on himself and he says, this is my body and it's gonna be broken for you. And then he says, every time that you do this, remember, remember me. And then he says, this is the wine, which is my blood, and it's, it's gonna be poured out. And we see it. As you look all throughout the, the story of the crucifixion, the whole scene is just covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. That it was poured out for us And he says, every time that you drink this, do this and remember me. And so it is good for us to, again, gather around the table and remember. And remember what took place. Remember how that has given us an opportunity for worship that is unique. Let me read for us 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. It says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, So it's a remembrance, but it's also a proclamation. We remember, but we also proclaim that there's going to be another table, right? We also proclaim that there's going to be a day where we will be sitting in the presence of the Lord and we will enjoy again the bread and the cup. Um, This morning, this is something that we do as a church. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to honestly, throughout this whole morning, just to observe. Just listen to the things that we're saying and try to understand, if you have any questions, just feel free to ask. This is, in, in this moment specifically, this is something that we do as a church, and we ask that just followers of Jesus would participate. Um, but it's a time where we just remember, and so I would encourage you to just observe and take a moment of silence to yourself. And I would encourage you to remember that the Lord is always available to us. And so even if you're at a point where you're just like, man, I, I don't know that I know how to pray. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that... I like I've prayed in a long time I want you to know that God is ready and available at all times that he is ready to hear your prayers and every prayer that we bring before him is something that he honors and that he listens and so I would encourage you to take a moment just to pray and to consider who he is and what he's done for you let me pray first this morning um, and then we'll give just a little bit of space a little bit of time and we'll partake in the table together Lord, we, um, Lord, I I think what we see here in this story is that um, there is truly a battle between good and evil, and there is one that is trying to deceive us, but from the beginning what we see is that you entered into that story, Lord, and you are, you are good, And you are pushing back anything in us and around the world that is evil until one day that you would restore all. (laughs) We would restore all and the Lord would be amongst his people. That there would be no more tears and no more crying and no more mourning and no more death and no more sin. That the presence of sin would be gone and that in that day you would dwell amongst your people. And Lord, we look forward to that day. And now we come to you through Christ and in the power of your spirit, Lord, and we, we humble ourselves and we say we need you. Lord, that we are going to encounter something today, tomorrow, throughout the rest of our week that is going to be, um, its desire is going to be to deceive us, and our role is going to be to run to you and to ask you to give us wisdom and discernment so that we can see what is good and cling to it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would equip us for that. Lord, would you transform us? Would you change us? Lord, for the parts of us that we have held on to for way too long, would you just enter in and pull out anything that's not of you? Lord, as we come to your table, Lord, we remember that it is by the blood of Jesus Christ that we are transformed, and that alone. Or it is by the blood of Jesus and the good news that he came and he he died and he rose again and our belief in that that you would set us free from our sin lord so i pray that we would experience that freedom today i pray that we would walk in it outside of just this service so father we love you your name amen